Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. This is a podcast all about slow living in a fast world. My name is Brooke McCallery. In a fast-paced world? I say, I, you know what? I don't know. So you interchange. That really that really grind my gears <laughs> just then. <laughs> Did it? Fast-paced world or just fast, fast world? Well, That's I feel like paced is almost... Redundant. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's change it up fast from now on. Okay. Yeah. My name is Ben McCallery and welcome to episode six of our season five fiesta. We are on the topic of self-care this episode. And what I want to know is who invented the term, who coined the term self-care? It sounds like a marketer coined it to make money. Well, yeah, it does sound like that now. Doesn't it? Like yeah. you buy a product. Oh, self-care, I need to buy something for that to happen. Yes, that is the overall impression of self-care these days. But that's not actually the the roots of self-care. Okay. Yeah. What's the roots of self-care? Self-care was born in underserved communities who recognised that no one else was going to care for them, which to me is really heartbreaking. You know, But for example? So African-American communities in the States – that were underserved in so many different ways, Mm -hmm. medical, government, education, all that sort of stuff, mental health, they recognised that those services that they needed in order to care for themselves was not going to, they were not going to emerge. So self-care was born. That's kind of very, very simplified version of the history of self-care. And it has been taken from that to where it is now. It's been commodified to mm. the eyeballs, where it has become this thing that you just described. Okay, so without going into any more, let me let's get into the episode okay. first. All right. So you started to define self care. So do you want to just expand on that a little bit more? How, yeah. How how does society define self care? Yeah, well, that's a good question, actually, because I think when we hear the term self-care now, what we see, what we think of immediately are things that are almost pampering, Mm, like massage and facials and fancy body products and like having a bath or even even something like sleeping in or binging Netflix, like Virgin River on Netflix, who I don't know anyone who would do that. Virgin River? Yeah. Uh, like that's self-care. Sounds raunchy. It's not, believe me. <laughs> um, so that that's what everyone immediately thinks of, or that's certainly what I would immediately think of. And I think that as self-care tools, they're valid. Sometimes laying down in the lounge and watching two or three episodes of a show and completely zoning out is what you need. Yep. If you're burnt out, if you're overwhelmed if you're just tired. Tired, yeah. yeah. That's okay. completely fine to yep. do. Um, but as I sort of got into a little bit in the introduction, self-care as a movement one runs way deeper mm. than that. And mm. even if you move on from that historical root of self-care, at its core, really, self-care is about advocating for yourself, you know, because I think that the problem when with no the, one else will. Or even if other people will, it's mm. it's taking ownership of the care of yourself. It is being responsible for the care of yourself. Because I don't think anyone would disagree that there aren't many places in the world where the system is set up 
so harmoniously where every requirement that you need to be healthy yeah. physically, mentally, emotionally is taken care of by yeah, other people. Absolutely. It doesn't exist. Absolutely. We need to take responsibility for our own care. I and, like the word advocate. I yeah. like when you use the word advocate. So what do you so what do you mean, you know, where you when you said become an advocate for yourself? I mean it can be lots of things. It can be tying into last week's episode a little bit, boundaries. Yeah. It can be developing strong boundaries for yourself. It can be taking steps to bolster your mental health, going to see a therapist or, yes. you know, doing things that, are, that aren't going to cost you money as well, like meditation or exercise or reading books or listening to podcasts about how to shift your negative self-talk. That's all self-care and that's all becoming an advocate for your own mm. care and your own health. Mm -hmm. It can be getting your finances in order. It can be time management or developing healthy relationships, ensuring you get enough time connecting with other people, ensuring you get enough time on your own, unpacking the expectations that you feel are heaped upon you, mm. trying to find what balance feels like for you. All of these things, I mean, exercise, eating well, all of these things add up to a picture of self-care or advocating for yourself. Removing connect tech from your <laughs> exactly. phone. Yeah, or Tie limiting, limiting so, connect tech. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. None Great. of them are, they're not but, sexy. Yeah, no, no. And no, they're not necessarily yeah. externally they're, obvious. They're broad-reaching too, really. Well, they are. But, so, in, but yeah. it, like, in terms of creating a life where you feel supported by yourself, when you feel empowered, when you feel like you are advocating for yourself, when you've got energy to mm. give to yourself and your well-being, they're really important. How are you managing your self-care at the moment? Uh, on a really tight leash, actually. I feel like at the moment my workload is more than it has been for a while with the book deadline approaching mm -hmm. rapidly. Mm -hmm. So I, I know enough about myself to recognise that I need my time and requirements to be managed very, very closely. Because I also know, and this is another way you can advocate for your own self-care, is I know what my values are. I know what my highest priorities are. And figuring that out is one of the most powerful self-care things that you can do, I think, because it then allows you to make the decisions about what gets your time and energy and attention measured against these highest priorities. And for me, at the moment, where time is a little scarce, I want to parent well and I want to be present with mm. the kids. I want to get enough sleep because I've, I've discovered that that is really important to me managing yeah. everything. Uh, I want to feel well and strong. I want to eat food that will give me like the energy and stamina that I need. Mm -hmm. I want to read. That's really important to me. I feel like if I don't have time to read, I really struggle. And I do want to have some time to rest. So... Once I tick all those boxes over the course of a week or a month, there's not a lot of time left. So for me, self-care looks like knowing what my priorities are and defending them. Okay. Yeah. So what are your priorities? I just told you what they were. Yeah, but what – so what do you – how do you protect those priorities? How do you defend them? How do I defend them? Yeah, yeah. I, I do something that I really don't like doing, which is saying no. I, I've never liked saying no as a kid unless it was to my parents, I guess. <laughs> Our kids certainly enjoy saying no to us. But I didn't ever like feeling as though I was letting someone down, you know, and I still don't. I don't like saying no to requests. I don't like saying no to something that technically, yes, I could do, 
but it would remove me from being able to do these high-priority things of mine. You so, never used to say no. Oh, In fact, man. No, the word no, I think, was one of your words of the year. I think it might have been a, a few years ago. Yeah. yeah. And looking back, that year did mark a really specific shift in okay. yeah. the way that I was able to define and defend my boundaries. Yeah. But I've been saying no. I mean, I, I get a lot of requests for interviews, for example, on other people's podcasts or to read a book and endorse it or, um, you know, media stuff. And I've just got a blanket no in effect for all of those things. Same with extra stuff at school, you know, putting my hand up for the extra shift at the canteen, all of that sort of stuff just has to, it has to be a no just for this next couple of months. Just in this little while, yeah. And I also think that the important thing that I've discovered that I need to do is to explain why to people. Do you? Yeah, I, yeah I, I, you do, don't you? I do, certain requests anyway. Other requests I feel quite fine in saying, no, I can't do it. Yeah. But if there is someone who I would genuinely really love to be able to help out or in the case of the kids, I've said to them, we're not doing any extra activities. Mm. Playdates are kind of at a minimum for the next couple of months. Here's why. Yeah. It's important for me to communicate to them why it's important. I'm not just being mean. I'm mm. not just being boring. There's a very specific reason and I'd like for them to understand that. If they don't, that's okay because at least I've communicated it. And the same thing goes for, you know, certain work requests and that and that kind of stuff and family things as well. Yes, no is a full answer. And, it, and, but... and a no is, is a tool that protects your time management really. But what about those times when, you know, those days when stuff just needs to get done? Mm. They're all equally important or or very important, but they don't involve your self care. That's just life, isn't it? That's yeah. So how do you how do you sort of maneuver through those times? You tilt back yeah, to tilting. Back to tilting. Well, I mean, everything comes back to tilting. I guess in a way it does. It does yeah. It, you, you, I, and for me, in that instance, on a day or a week like that, it's really important that I acknowledge that. I'm not going to hit it out of the park every day or every week or every month, you know, and tilting is my way of saying that's okay. It's okay to have weeks where stuff gets dropped around the house. It's okay to have weeks where stress feels more prevalent than I would like. Like that's just life, you know, and tilting is the mechanism by which I accept that all the time. You know, I think that sometimes reducing the scope of my self-care plans or goals and sticking to them helps. So I may not be able to go for a walk every day, but can I sit quietly and breathe for five minutes in the morning? You know what I mean? And really just do something. Well, you can't something. do the 45 minutes of exercise. You do the you do the 10-minute, you know, interval training sort of Yeah, or you, like you know I, mean? I take like, the yeah. dog's... Yeah. To get the kids at school and kind of yeah. two birds with one stone sort of thing. Um, so, like, tilting really is the the way that I – and in a way it's its own self-care mm. tool, isn't it? Because yeah. it allows me to recognise that as much as it would help sometimes yeah. for everything to remain the same and static and stagnant and I would know what to expect every day and I could line up my responses, that's not life. Mm. And mm. I wouldn't want it that way anyway, yeah. but but tilting is that that self care tool. I've, I feel like you've always been really good at mental self care, 
Like, I do. I, you know, really? I'm not going to say always. I'm going to say over the last five years, okay. you've prioritized. Like, will you think about when you do your morning pages and when you do your yoga and meditation? I think there's a lot that you do for your mind. But it's only recently that you've changed your view on exercise. and Yeah, I, it, that's absolutely right. I think you had bad connotations with exercise and self-care previously. Yeah, I definitely for the last few years, it's it's been the last thing to get my time and attention. And m- honestly, I can dress it up however I want, but most of that's just laziness. Right. I would try and convince myself that like, 15, 20 minutes in the garden was enough physical activity. Mm. It's great. There's nothing wrong with it. But it's and not because, No, yeah. not for me, not for yeah. how I'm feeling now. And I, I sort of hit a period last year where I realized that if I would like to continue feeling healthy and strong, then I need to put effort into it. And yeah. I think part of the reason it's taken me so much longer to arrive at that realization than a lot of people is because I've just been fortunate that I haven't suffered any significant injuries or illnesses, that I've never really struggled with my health or my weight. And that gave me so many opportunities to be willfully ignorant or lazy, mm. you know, and, yeah. and that's me being completely honest. So it was probably, I don't know, six months ago that I started to really try and focus on exercise and moving to the point of my heart rate. Increasing. Increasing or to sweat or to, you know, challenge myself. Yeah. And it's, you're right, it has taken me a bit of time to unpack my Negative. hang-ups. Yeah, I don't know what it was. But yeah, I, don't know I, what I think it was we had, you had some bad experiences about gym and exercising before. Yeah, and also yeah. I was, I kind of jumped on the extreme cardio bandwagon when the kids were little and would flog myself at the gym for two hours. Oh, yeah, and you just... Be... And I was a wreck for the rest of the yeah. day, you know, yeah. and looking back, of course... I wasn't particularly healthy mentally either at the time. No. Uh, yeah. But like that, that's what exercise was to me. And you're like, stuff, I don't want to do that. Yeah. And then yeah. I've done yoga pretty consistently throughout, and which is wonderful, but also for me, not a full, like fully encapsulated health and fitness approach anymore. It's wonderful and I wouldn't give it up, but it's not going to be the only thing that I do. I understand. Yeah. Yeah. So on a related note, and I don't know whether you're uh, interested or available to talk about it, but um, you've also changed your relationship with alcohol a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think we both have recently. Yeah. Uh, so talk to me about that. Yeah, I'm still trying to work out exactly what my relationship to alcohol is. Um, but I do know that over the years I have I've just drunk too much. Yeah. Wine became a like a crutch. Coping. It became the way that I coped yeah. rather than having some other sort of healthier, maybe more holistic options of dealing with stress and anxiety or, you know, just a busy week or a crappy day. A glass of red wine or two was how I dealt with it. It's not that I would write myself off, you know, but it was just a consistent presence in my life. And you and I um, from January stopped drinking Mm. for like quite a while Mm -hmm. completely which I'd never I'd done a month here and there I'd never done such a long period of time and it really did shift something in me particularly made me realize that I had heaps of other mechanisms that I could use to cope with stress that were ultimately better for me that would 
allow me to live the kind of life that I want to live. And really, that's what it came back to for me. I would look at my values, the kind of life that I want to live, my legacy, all that kind of stuff. You actually tracked it way back to yeah, which eulogy. Is, yeah, I did, which is funny and kind of makes me feel a bit weird that I've actually I mentioned alcohol in my eulogy. <gasps> You're going to have to rewrite your eulogy. Maybe, which is something you can do because I'm not dead yet, so I can. <laughs> Um, but you said you enjoy a gutsy Shiraz. No, that's not. No, it was the old fashioned. Oh, the old fashioned. Yeah. yeah. So, which like is fine, but it just kind of it was a bit grating to realize yeah. that this thing that I'm kind of coming to terms with my relationship with, yeah, was there, um, and I don't necessarily know how I feel about that at the moment. You know what would be really nice, and I don't know whether you're open to it or if it's even been discussed, is for you to rewrite your eulogy in this next book. No, that's not going to work. <laughs> I'm just going to shut that idea down right now. Listeners, if you're with me, um, please go and leave a review on iTunes. No, kidding. Um, oh, no, please. Actually, it'd be great if you could leave a review on iTunes. What a segue. Yeah, I know. I know. wasn't really. Uh so, yeah, I completely uh, agree and understand with you. For me, alcohol was all about the stress relief of a, a busy week. Yeah. Friday night, Friday afternoons, I'd reach for the bottle. <laughs> and also like Sunday afternoon. Like there's these times and instead of that now, I do something completely different. Mm. I remove myself from even going near it. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, just it's those just, it's situations. Not, it's, it, you don't yeah. put yourself in the situation yeah. where you would maybe feel that trigger of now's the time that I would have a beer or now's the time exactly. that I would have a glass of red wine. Yeah. Um, but it certainly, I think, helped both our self-care. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Particularly at the moment, you know, yeah. I'm on in the last weeks of the book deadline. The clarity yeah. and the... In the mornings. Oh, and yeah. the, the sleep and the energy. And as I was saying, like I'd look at, at who I want to be and then you kind of ask yourself, well, what would that person do? And it probably isn't polish off a bottle of red wine on a Friday night, you know? Exactly. So, yeah, yeah, it's been an interesting time. So to wrap it up, let's go right back to self-care and the typical self-care things that people do. Like in terms of what people imagine self-care looks like. Yeah. Mm. Do you do any of them? What do you do? There's a couple of things that I do. Yeah. I like to have a bath with Epsom salts and lavender and read in the bath like that's probably once a week usually after I do my Aikido class and I'm a bit sore (laughs) so I I do it a because it physically helps my recovery from having sore muscles but b because it's it feels that feels really luxurious to do something like that to to sit Mm. in the bath and and read for a little while I also I guess do my Sunday nights I will sometimes do a face scrub or a face mask, but they're all homemade things. Yes, they are. Which you find hilarious because I've got like lumpy sugar and honey scrub on my face. It's like Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah. So I do do that. And similarly, I guess, because I feel better. I don't Mm. feel like I'm ticking a self-care box. You know, it's not an Instagrammable thing. I do it because like my skin feels nicer or because my muscles relax. But honestly, I feel like something as simple as sitting in the garden for 10 minutes and watching the birds and Mm -hmm. the clouds and stuff, that feels like self-care to me more so than going and getting a massage wood or taking a bushwalk or a bike ride with you feels much more 
like energizing and exciting and something that I'm really happy to be able to do than spending a day at a day spa. I guess underlying all of that then is focusing on doing things that help you feel better and feel more supported after, exactly, feel more supported rather than doing things that you think you should be doing because that's what self-care looks like. It's really interesting to think about the after effects rather than the immediate effects. It's kind of like anything, isn't it? I mean, it's like going going for a really hard run or a workout or something. You don't want to do it. Yeah, it's no fun when you're doing it. It's not sexy. It's not... It's not yeah. even necessarily enjoyable in the doing, no. but afterwards, oh. I've never been unhappy that I did it yeah, exactly. ever. And exactly. I feel stronger. I feel more empowered. I feel more energized. I feel all these really positive things that ultimately are what I need to feel cared for. That's a really nice insight. And I guess you could use that filter to look at any self-care decision in your life, regardless of what self-care thing you're doing. Like ask yourself, what is the feeling I'm going to get by doing this? And you can kind of make an argument that that most of the things that you choose to do have a, a good feeling if you're doing it for that reason, a good feeling attached if you're doing it for that reason. So like binging on Netflix, you might feel rested, you might feel quiet, you might feel entertained. They're all positive things. Yeah, you might feel sleepy. Exactly. Yeah. You know, like meditation, you might feel more even keeled in your emotions. Um, saying no to an opportunity, you might feel grateful or relieved or empowered. Mm-hmm. Um, doing a values exercise, you might feel purposeful for the first time in a long time. Um, they're all really positive feelings. So all that to say, there is no right or wrong with self-care. I just think it's important that we don't stay surface level with it because there is also a tendency. The for... ticker box of self-care. Exactly. Yeah. And also as it's become commoditized, you find that so much of what passes for that shallow level self-care requires us to buy something. As, which gets back to your mm. point at the very beginning. Mm. And that immediately removes people's a lot of people's access to it because they don't have the time or they don't have the money or they don't they're not actually able to access those services in the first place. So as an underline to all of it, if you're engaging in any self-care stuff that makes you feel crappy about yourself, that's not self-care. Mm. You know, that's buying into this idea of self-loathing dressed up as self-pampering you know if you if you just spend fifty dollars on this face mask you'll be able to relax but also you'll get rid of those horrible pores of yours you know like that's a backhanded (laughs) that's a backhanded thing to serve up to someone yeah you'd feel bad doing it and after so like that's a good filter as well yeah if anything does leave you feeling negative after maybe stop considering it self-care Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Yeah, no. <laughs> Insert applause. Hey, I want to um, introduce your guest for the next half of the episode, um, Amy. And you spoke to Amy about two things, didn't you? I did. Uh, so Amy and I spoke initially about the trouble she was having in reducing her waste, her family's waste at home, because she lived in a rural part of Maine. And Obviously, when you're living in a, a town that doesn't have the services, maybe the recycling services or a bulk food store, it can be really, really difficult to tackle the more common waste reduction sort of techniques and strategies we hear about. So we spoke a lot about what she could do and what was in her, in her control. And Tammy Logan, who came in as the expert on the, the end of Amy's mm. first episode, shared a lot about that. 
Um, so Amy and I circled back to a conversation about compost, which was quite funny. Uh, and then we also spoke about balancing working from home with a young family and maybe a partner as well who has their own requirements and yeah Yeah. and so really she and I chat a lot about the changes that she has made since and also we we kind of dig into what the future might hold and it's I'm really interested to see where Amy takes this because I feel like the last six months have seen a, a huge shift in her and her family's um, values and actions and it's always interesting to me to kind of be able to track the changes that we make and mm. see what those catalysts are and what those turning points end up being they're not always what we think they'll be so this is a really wonderful conversation and um, i hope you enjoy it head over to slowyourhome.com season five for the show notes to this episode and any others that we've spoken about but for now enjoy this second round chat that Brooke has with Amy. Hello, Amy. How are you? Hi, Brooke. I'm well, thanks. And you? So, so, so well. And so, so happy to be talking to you. Um, I actually wanted to just quickly kick off our conversation by thanking you, um, A, for being so open and willing to have the conversation that we had back in season four, but also you and your your kind of willingness to talk it through, I think opened some doors in my mind. You know, I feel like I was thinking differently about things and about kind of taking this idea that you and I discussed of imperfect action and applying it kind of across the board in my life. You know, I, we spoke about it in regards to waste reduction, but um, it, it really... I don't know, it shifted something in me. So thank you. I, I really appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome. I'm glad to be able to help in any way that I can. It's, um, yeah, very, there's a lot of room for imperfection. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's a perfect place to dive in because you and I spoke, it was nearly six months ago. Um, it's gone so quickly, but. I can't believe it. Yeah. yeah. And we kind of, we had a, a two-part kind of conversation where you initially spoke about your personal um, efforts to reduce waste in your home and how that was challenging for a whole host of reasons, not the least of which is that you live in a in a rural area that doesn't have a huge amount of services, you know. So a lot of the the solutions that are offered didn't necessarily apply. But we also spoke about the balancing act of working from home with a young family too. What I wanted to do is, is sort of talk about what shifts you've made in both of those areas since. Because I know we spoke at the end of our chat about implementing a new system, like a low waste system, and it kind of left it up to you what that looked like. Have you been able to make a change there? Um, Yeah, I actually went to a composting conference. (laughs) So yeah, yeah, that was work related more, but like personal interest too, because as we talked about, I was like clueless about how to, the 30 to one ratio is really important. So that is something that I have learned from you and I have learned through that conference that I went to. But um, 
Yeah. So it's really, I think I was overcomplicating it and you kind of touched on that too. And so at the end of um, last year, we started burying it. (laughs) So we have land and we have a garden that we weren't really actively using last year, but it's pretty easy to just dig a hole and dump the food scraps in. And um, so now I have, it's like, was negative 10 this morning, which I did the math is like negative 20, I yeah. think in Celsius. And so everything's really frozen right now, including my food scraps, but I've got like six pails that are frozen waiting to be just buried. And then also we are going to look at a worm farm oh, system. Great. Yeah. My husband's interested. He's like, I, he's mentioned that before. And so I'm um, trying to implement something like that. I, I think could work for us too. But the whole fact that the, like I had a tumbler and it wasn't, I was not putting enough Brown and right. that's, I knew that was it, but like, I wasn't, it was at the location that's separate from my house. And so to go there and always be putting the dried leaves and everything, it just wasn't, uh, wasn't working for my particular situation. And yeah. so we readjusted and uh, I think that we'll be able to make it a little bit simpler. That's awesome. <laughs> so, well, that's a perfect, yeah. perfect example of like meeting yourself where you are. You can have this, this perfect system set up in your head that in a, in an ideal world, this is how it would work. But that's not helpful if that's not actually relevant to your situation now, you know. And I think that that was sort of something that really underpinned the entirety of last season was stepping back from what we think these systems and these changes should look like and instead working with where we are and, and what feels like the right place to be, you know, sort of removing the shoulds. So I'm really glad to hear yeah. that. And yeah, the berry, like the, the berry method is so great Yeah, for composting. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really psyched that you went to a composting um, conference too. That's really cool. Yeah. I, well, I, like I said, it was for work a little bit, but like I had a personal and professional interest and I just had no idea that these industrial composting facilities like in the United States, they exist because of um, states putting bans on uh, yard scraps. And so the majority, like in California, they have um, yard clippings cannot go to landfill. And so it's just something that I never even realized because we live, I live in Maine where like you don't have yard clippings, you mow your lawn and it just goes back in. And like, I don't know, I never really realized that was such an issue, but like the landfills are full. Mm -hmm. And so there has to be a way to divert this, you know, material, organic material that can be reused in a beneficial way. And so that was really interesting to learn that, um, like I went to a composting 101 session and they kept saying a lot of these people were facility owners and they were just like harping on the fact that don't give your compost away. This is useful material that you should and can sell people will buy this and so don't give it away and so it was just interesting to learn about the whole more than just home composting there's this whole industry around it and it's begun at a necessity because we don't have room in the landfills anymore you know and people and they don't want municipalities don't want to invest in building new landfills right and so you know 
when push comes to shove, when like necessity dictates it, we are able to come up with solutions, you know, and I think that that's something we can all take kind of heart from as well. And we've reached that point. We've reached that point quite a while ago, but that mainstream conversation is now acknowledging that we've reached that point. And I think from there, so much change is going to come quite rapidly. Mm. So I know you and I exchanged emails after we spoke last where you were asking a little about low waste uh, or reduced waste snack options for your daughter, um, things like laundry products and, and that sort of stuff. I sent a few suggestions your way. Have you had any had any shifts in, in that area? I actually just received my first um, veggie box, subscription box, two days ago awesome. and was like, wonderful this is like perfect because I yes was you're right fruits and veggies can be you know easy snack options to replace yeah and I don't need to have five boxes of cereal on the shelf either like I can just have like reducing the usage and like I was all like oh she eats cereal and this is a problem I can't like get bulk cereal or whatever and it's like you know what she doesn't really eat that much cereal and we if we only buy one box every couple weeks then it's like being aware of what you actually need and reducing trying to reduce then also the the veggie box was a really great idea though and like yeah getting something that I can just use as what they give me and there's like no it was a cardboard box and then there was no other packaging to have to deal with right so compared to going to the grocery store and having yeah your cucumber wrapped in plastic and it's like I can't deal with this in any other way other than not buying cucumbers like no there are there are a lot of other ways to deal with it okay that's that's really great to hear um, and it, but also like just like we've already said, meeting yourself where you are. You don't have to find a new solution for the cereal. Maybe it's just kind of rethinking how much of it is necessary, and like you say, not kind of wasting what is there. So you know, and I found it interesting with with my conversation with Tammy. She said a lot. Of, so much of our conversations around waste either center on plastic or food, and there's a whole other kind of realm of of waste that we we can look at reducing as well, which can sometimes feel simpler in a way, like even just wasting electricity or wasting water or, you know, enhancing resources like digging your compost into the ground rather than, you know, over complicating the solution. I think all of those things together start to make an enormous difference in your carbon footprint, not even just necessarily what's going into your rubbish. Because before we hit record, you and I were talking a little bit about the frustration and challenge of 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 existing in a system that is not set up for our success while trying to shift that system at the same time. You know, you need to take part in that system. And and often that means there are very imperfect solutions or no solutions at all. And it's like, how do we take part in it out of necessity while also making those gradual shifts so that the system changes as well, which will make it so much easier for us and everyone else to, to shift yeah. I love that you you've got the the veggie box too. That's Yeah. I'll be interested to hear how you go because for us with getting one a week, A you get things that are seasonal, so I'm cooking with things that I wouldn't necessarily have bought previously. And that's that's cool. Um but also you need to be creative in terms of how you use up the things that you wouldn't necessarily use or how you store them or whether you process them and freeze them or 
you know, what that looks like too. So yeah, just being aware, like I had a feeling that food was, it was almost too big of a undertaking for me, you know, like I I felt like that's what the majority of what's going into my trash. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, diverting the compost and like, recognizing that you do need to reduce the food scraps that you're generating too and using what you have like the eat the leftovers just eat it and then like the fact that you don't always need to be going out and buying something from the store and that there's other options like this this veggie box it was so great to have like okay this is what I have and now we can do some meal planning around it instead of like oh okay I want to make this what do I have to get to go with it and so it's a much more like resourceful kind of you know having too many options is not really a good thing I think you know and you're limited to what you have you are able to get a little bit more creative exactly you know and I think that almost having that um if you put that constraint around yourself like I'm going to use up everything that's in my fridge before buying anything else that limits your options and it makes you more creative Ben and I have a use it first kind of basket of fruit and vegetables and when I open the fridge figuring out what to what veggies to have with dinner I always look there and out of necessity this creative sort of shift and it's awesome uh yeah yeah I really like that kind of approach and that self-limiting just to see it's sort of like a challenge or an experiment you know I know people do a buy nothing new months where they kind of cook and shop their own pantry and things like that those, those sorts of playful approaches can help as well there are some things that are going into that compost that can be consumed instead. Okay. Uh, yeah, and then also like the packaging around the food that is going in the trash. I was like, oh, what can I? I was like, so at this point, like, well, I the only other option is to not buy. That is an option, though, again, to reduce how much you buy. Mm -hmm. And like I said, with the cereal boxes, we don't need to have four cereal boxes. We can just buy one. And when it goes empty, buy another. And that way you don't have to throw away when it goes bad or, you know, and, you know, that's it. You've kind of hit the nail on the head. It's not reducing to zero overnight. It may be just like a 20 percent reduction for the next six months or a 10 percent reduction. And when that feels like your new normal it's a really great time to then look at what the next 10 or 20% reduction can be. You know, I, I certainly still create waste, some of it's packaging waste, and it's probably been maybe two or three years of really actively trying to reduce that, and it's still not there, but probably over, you know, every six months it's like 10% less, 10% less, um, yeah. to the point where it feels like I've made progress. And I think that's something we spoke about too, looking back and seeing where you've come from, like seeing the shifts you've already made is really important because otherwise it's really easy to get lost in the, what feels like a never ending process of reduction or improvement. You've already come so far. And I think that's important to reflect on. Yeah. And like, just the fact that I no longer buy Ziploc bags and like, that is something that was, you know, six, by the time I talked to you, I definitely hadn't. So it's been more than six months that I've not used a Ziploc bag. And like I mentioned Um, before you hit record that I was in South Carolina and my mother was with us for um, a week and we 
I was like almost battling her with the Ziplocs. I'm like, I don't need, like she wanted to put like daughter's toys. Like she got some, like we got her some Legos, you know? And then she wanted to put the Legos in a Ziploc bag, like for storage. I was like, that doesn't need, we don't need. She's like, well, what else do you use? And I'm like, you, you find other options. Like we just, once you say like, okay, you know, you have to get the reusables in place and start using them. But then it's like, all right, I no longer buy Ziplocs and I no longer use Ziplocs. Like they just are not something that are a requirement of my life anymore. And it's nice. It's freeing to be like independent of that. It was just funny because there was definitely like pushback as to like, that's her changing your default. I found is something that is useful in terms of how to approach it. Like part of this is just changing the default mindset of like okay do I and and questioning whether you really need it what are the other options and so for her she's just like well what are you she's so used to using Ziplocs on a daily basis and it's like what do you use instead it's like well there's all kinds of options again opening yourself up to the possibilities can only really come a if you've decided to and b if you kind of make that commitment and say well I'll just get creative I'll figure something out you know and you do I realized a few months ago it's been 5 years or something since we bought plastic cling wrap mm. a handful of people who visit our house sometimes are like what do you use instead well you know you've, we've got jars you could just put your leftovers in a bowl with a plate on top you can have a beeswax wrapper you could heaps of options but they're only going to work for you once you've decided that that's a goal of yours, that's a commitment of yours, to just never have to buy a plastic wrap again. Great. And you can't force people to that, you know, that realisation. I don't – I've never been successful in it. So. Yeah, I know. I know. I, I did actually – My I mentioned my sister before, and uh, she went and bought a bunch of stasher bags. She was like, you've inspired me. And so I was like – and, yeah, it's definitely not something that you can – push people into you have to like focus on yourself make the changes worry about what I'm doing and then you know if you want to hear about it I'll tell you like with my mom she was like somewhat interested in terms of like what's your alternative and it's like but I mean I still was kind of like I don't use them so like it's just hard where if you're vacationing with somebody else and they use them and you don't, it's like, well, okay, we have to compromise. Exactly. Yeah. And that's it. And you kind of, you don't live in a vacuum and, you know, it's important to inspire people through your choices and actions. You can kind of open up that conversation, open up the possibilities by showing what you're able to do without telling, you know, and I think that's what you're doing. I think it's brilliant, which kind of leads to the second part of our conversation from last year, which was, I guess, managing the the changing requirements, like the constantly changing requirements of working from home. And, you know, I know that you were kind of being challenged by that. We spoke a lot about allowing yourself to, again, be imperfect in your actions, but to be intentional in your actions and choices how has that helped? You know, where do you find yourself now with, with the work situation and, and the challenges that you were facing? Yeah, we um, have shifted dramatically from when I last spoke with you because my husband was in full on work mode. He was in his season of work. Yes. And so that finished up in, in November. And so he's been 
home full time with my daughter. And so I'm working from home with them both home. And again, we're trying to do the homeschool with this preschool, you know, we're focusing on numbers and letters. And so again, not like putting the standard uh, so high that like I tend to do, I want to have everything by the book and oh, we have this curriculum. And it's like, no, if she's she's fine. <laughs> like that's not anything that we need to stress about. Um, and just, but it's been challenging being at home with both of them home and, right. you know, having that kind of uh, on top of each other all the time, it, even though we don't necessarily have a tiny home, it's just still like, if I'm here, she wants to like check in and like see what's going on. And it's like, I can't. And so I've had to, I've had to find uh, elsewhere to work and the library has been great. And like getting just to, there's a local cafe that I'm so grateful for because just even going there for 20 minutes and like breaking down the work day into like little pieces has been a lot easier for me instead of like, Oh, okay. I need to work an eight hour day. It's like, sometimes I can work a five hour day and get just as much work done than doing the eight hour day and like taking time for myself. I've learned that is really big. Like going again, it's, you know, negative 10 degrees out. And so going outside isn't going for a walk is not something that I enjoy doing right now. But I will go to the gym and get on the treadmill for 20 minutes. And like, even if that's just walking or running or just incorporating some movement into my day instead of sitting because I work at the computer. And so that's sitting and I try to stand or, you know, but it's just giving yourself some time, like to do the things that like the self-care kind of things and just getting out of the house and I can't just work full on all day and expect myself to be really productive yeah and and that's a really important shift to make I think and one that I've come to in the last little while as well is that it seems counterintuitive to get up take a break go and move go and do like even some meditation or go and sit out in the yard or go and grab a coffee, whatever it is, it it is so important because we are not machines. You know, we cannot maintain the level of efficiency that we think we can for the periods that we think we can. And I think that changing up your, your like your physical situation, shifting the energy that you're around, all of those things can make a massive difference, not only to your energy that you're bringing to your work, but also to your headspace, you know, to your mental health and your well-being. And that over time, you're going to be so much more effective in not only your work, but in your family life and in every other kind of element of your life uh, because you're doing that. And also it's just more fulfilling. <laughs> you know, I don't know about you, but when I give myself the opportunity to do those things that I know I need to feel well and to feel grounded and centered – even the things that I don't find awesome feel more fulfilling, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a great place to operate from. Like the other side of that conversation, you know, of making time is the notion of tilting, you know, you need to actively choose to make that shift. Otherwise you will remain stuck to your desk for eight hours a day. 
have you needed to shift your thinking at all in allowing yourself to tilt? Yes, yes. I and it's funny when we last spoke, I I think I was definitely more in the mindset of tilting like on a daily basis. Right. And I remember I said like, oh well, today I'm focusing on work, and tomorrow I'm focusing on the house. And it's like, no, there's certainly seasons are longer than a day, and so to focus on like we are in a different situation than most where my husband actually has a seasonal job. Um, but like, I know that right now is a heavy season of work for me. And so I'm having to pull myself away from being the primary caretaker, primary homemaker, all that. Like I am having to step back and realize that he's here full time with her. And so I, I need to focus on work because that's the priority for me right now. And come, you know, the spring when he goes to work, I'm going to be back at being the primary one in the house and um, taking care of our daughter. And so, so yeah, we definitely have a different situation where we actually, he works seasonally. And so that shifts things for me and I'll have to adjust. Um, but again, it's all that about that mindset. And it's helpful to realize that I might feel like I'm neglecting my daughter more than I want to. But at this point, this is the requirement in my life. And that's where we are. And I will make up for it. And I, you know, there's times when I do make up for it on the weekends or things like that, you know. Yeah. And I think it's important to to be aware of the way you're speaking to yourself about it, too. Because I mean, you say neglecting or making up for it as if, you know, it's bad and good. And I mean, it's not you're working, you're providing, you're, you're earning an income to provide for your family. And you and your husband have worked out a system where your daughter is getting, she's getting the, the attention and the, um, you know, the care and the parenting that she needs. Um, and it's, it's, almost allowing yourself to let go of what you think you should be providing at any given second um, and recognizing that you've set up an entire system, both of you have set up an entire system that provides what she needs. And it's it's kind of your role in that shifts and changes with the seasons and that's okay. So I, I don't know about you, but for me that has been um, like there's a lot of ego attached to that too. And, you know, like martyrdom almost like, but this is what I'm going to do. And this is what I've always done. And I hold myself to this ridiculous level of, um, of, of necessity or something. And that's unnecessary when I do that. Like it's, yeah, my, it's my ego, my, I'm centering myself in it rather than allowing things to shift and flow with the seasons or with the needs. Yeah. I think some of it too, is that in general, like, you know, stay at home dads are still not, I think they're few and far between. So the mom kind of takes more of that role, even as a working mom, they still do, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of the things that are required around the house. So that's where I always am like that tendency to want to be the one cooking dinner, to want to be the one doing the laundry. Like it's just almost this maternal instinct that's like, I, this is my job because I'm the mom, but it's like, no, he is a great dad and he can do the dishes. And just cause he might not do them the way I do them, they get done. Right. And it <laughs> yeah. doesn't matter. Like if they didn't, he didn't love, 
unload the dishwasher the same way as me. That's fine. It's not a big deal. So, yeah. And I think that's another part of it too, that I know I certainly have had to come to grips with as, you know, as Ben shifted to working from home more and he's just around more and is able and wanting to, to be far more active than he could when he was working out of home. Uh, and I just, I've just needed to let go and continue to need to remind myself to let go of, of all of those, you know, those things that I felt like I had some kind of weird ownership of, like the right way to, you know, wash the clothes, the right way to hang them out, the right way to do all of these things. Like there's, there's my way. Yes. But then there's lots of other ways too. And unless I want to put my hand up to do it all, which I don't, you need to relinquish some of that, that control. And that's, um, yeah, I don't necessarily know what the root of that is, but it's definitely, you're definitely not alone in, in having to grapple with that. But yeah. I think once you free some of that headspace up, the benefits flow and that's when you can start to to recognize that, yes, this grappling and this shifting is a little challenging, but the benefits are such that you find yourself in a position where you have that extra headspace or you're able to take those 20 minutes for yourself or, you know, whatever it may be. It makes all the difference. It really does. Just in, in how I've been approaching life, I think, and like uh, taking, you know, pleasure in the tiny moments. And sometimes just even that like 20 minutes, it might seem like a lot of time in some situations it might not. It depends on, but it, it matters. And just like, I don't know, taking those little moments of time for yourself and stepping back and yeah, realizing that it doesn't have to be all you all the time. Right. You know? Yeah, exactly. Relinquishing that need for it to be all you all the time. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and I think that to wrap up, I think that your point there is a really important one that self-care or taking some time away, it doesn't need to be some kind of grand experience. You don't need to go and have a massage. You don't need to go and have a facial or head off for an entire day of yoga. or whatever. It can be 10 minutes of sitting down, drinking your cup of tea or coffee and looking out the window. It can be listening to music while you drive somewhere and just spending another five minutes in the car finishing that song. It can be, you know, anything. It can be tiny. It can be the tiniest little noticing. But they really do make a difference. Creating that buffer, you know, that well-being buffer, that mental health buffer that allows you to, to kind of then the opposite of it. When, when you're stressed, you can kind of dip into that buffer without, without really exhausting yourself. Um, yeah. You know, you keep topping that that account up, that bank account up, and you can take withdrawals from it occasionally and you're still good. Yeah, it's funny. I've realized the value in, in just looking out the window too. Mm. And that, first of all, you need to give your eyes a break from the computer, right? But then it gives your mind a reset too, even just for five minutes. Yeah. It matters. Right. You because know? it feels like so insignificant. Just, yeah. It yeah. feels like it wouldn't matter. It feels like a 30-second brain break or five minutes looking at a tree. Like, that wouldn't matter. That's a tiny thing, but they do. They matter so much to your brain, to your your headspace, to your ability to then get back into work or parenting or anything else, whatever you find you, yourself doing. Um, you know, it, it 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 shifts things in ways that you wouldn't ever expect for something that feels so insignificant. Yeah, and then allowing yourself to do it, like being like, no, this is good. Like, okay, I'm daydreaming right now. Oh, I have to get back to work. It's like, no, it's okay. It's good for you. <laughs> it is. Daydreaming is good for you. Quite literally, it's really good for you. Uh, and it also allows you to think more creatively too. I, I don't know about you, but I often find 
some of my best creative sparks or ideas or solutions will come when I'm not actively thinking about it at all. You know, I might be doing something completely unrelated and your brain's still working on these things in the background, but you you give it that space to expand and, and kind of follow paths or ideas that maybe it otherwise wouldn't if you were keeping it too busy doing your work. Uh, it doesn't yeah. actually allow you to, to come to creative solutions. So that's something I, that I certainly find when I allow myself to not work. Yeah. <laughs> it, you, you know, you, you actually find, I actually find that I come to solutions that are relevant to work sometimes. So, yeah, yeah, I know. It's this feeling like you have to push through sometimes if you're working on a deadline or you have some, somebody's waiting for something and you're like, oh, I just have to push through. And it's like, yeah, but sometimes you need to step back to be able to actually like, and then it just happens yeah. and it's easy. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. Exactly. Finding ease, you know, I think that's another idea that is really powerful and seems counterintuitive. If it feels too hard to come to a solution right now, then maybe right now isn't the time to be finding that solution. What if you step back? What if you allow yourself to soften and then look for where the ease is? You know, that's something that's served me really well in the last couple of years, like looking and waiting for that ease. And it's not easy necessarily, but there is ease, there is energy, there's momentum there. Um, yeah. And you look back and you're like, I didn't realize that would happen that way, but here I am mm. on the other yeah. side. Um, Amy, it's been so wonderful to chat with you. And I feel like you're at a point where you're just, you're, this ease, this momentum is really building behind you in the changes that you're making and the choices that you're making. I'm really excited to see where it leads. Um, I'm incredibly grateful to you for coming back today and talking. Uh, so thank you. Oh, it's an honor. It's so great to be able to talk to you. I just, I can't thank you enough for everything you do. Seriously, you've changed my life. I know you've probably changed all kinds of other people's as well. So I, cannot thank you enough oh thank you i'm looking forward to hearing um, what the future holds sounds great who is that hi puck pass